Have you ever been a part of a conversation that ends with the line, prove it? Or maybe more accurately, something like, prove it! You've been in one of those? Or maybe now it's like, bet. Uh, Maybe that's what you say, I don't really know. Usually involves someone in a group sharing something that they've done, uh, thought about doing, or will do that's a little outrageous or hard to believe. The group can't take the person's word for it, so they say, prove it, or bet, or show me, then I will believe you. And this actually happened to me a lot in college when I was where you were sitting. It's why I ended up looking like this for a period of time. I know, I know. Yeah, it's how I finally gained the courage. Just look, is it gone? No, okay, it's still there. It's how I finally gained the courage to ask a girl on a date who's now my wife. And as an RA, uh, when I was in East Hall, it was a group of guys on my wing who bellowed, prove it, when I told them about my idea of a slip and slide on the second second floor of East Hall. Best wing event ever, by the way. We also had bacon there, which is always a plus. And and these are all humorous, but we bring this type of prove it or show me, then I will believe you attitude into other areas of our lives as well. Often into arguments. Someone brings a claim against you and usually you say something like, when did I say or do that? Or I'm infamous to my wife when she brings something up and I say, well, can you tell me an example of when I did that or when that happened? I want proof rather than taking her word for it. And I think we do this with God as well. At times we find it difficult to demonstrate faithfulness on his word alone, and we want some kind of visual confirmation. It'd be so much easier if God would just show us the way we're supposed to go, the job we're supposed to take, the person we're supposed to date or or marry, the major we should choose, it would be easier if we could just see God. And that desire makes sense because we've been formed and shaped by a visual culture. It's why study after study has stats like 90% of all information transmitted the brain is visual. Visual content is 40 times more likely to be shared on social media than any other kind of content. 65% of people are visual learners. This, is, this reality is probably why Instagram has had so much staying power because it was one of the first social media platforms that was image-based rather than text. It's why you're more likely to watch a video on something than to read something. And this isn't new to our culture. Visuals have always had power. And we can go back to ancient Greece, which much of our culture is built upon, whose greatest achievements had to do with the eyes, with seeing. Ancient Greece produced some of the greatest art and architecture the world had ever seen. Ancient Greece created, was known for theater and the Olympic Games where people watched performances. Plato understood knowledge as a type of seeing, as a vision to see beneath the surface. And this understanding continued through the Enlightenment when the main way of obtaining knowledge was reason and evidence-based. 
And the idea of knowledge as seeing still influences us, us today. It's my friends in college yelling, prove it. It's you and me saying, I see when we understand something. It's all of this talk about insight and foresight and hindsight. And we're taught to adopt a perspective or shed light on an issue or illustrate something. We're encouraged to observe. This language is all about seeing. And to be clear, seeing is a good thing. It's a gift from God. And Jesus in the New Testament commands us to see or to look at him over and over again. Jesus teaches us the right way to see. He's gracious enough to allow us to see at times. But sight usually does not come first in the Christian life. Jesus even said, blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Faith is defined as evidence of things not seen. And just like children in a mother's womb hear their parents' voice before they see their parents' face, I think we as children of God tend to hear God's voice before we see and understand him clearly. Did you hear the words from John 10 a few minutes ago? The sheep hear his voice, for they know his voice. For they do not know the voice of strangers. My sheep hear my voice. In this chapter alone, the word hear, listen, or voice is said eight different times. Jesus wants his sheep to listen to his voice, to hear his voice, to know the safety and comfort and security the voice of their shepherd brings. Why? Why does Jesus want his sheep, his people, you and me, to hear his voice? Because seeing him would be so much easier. Like sometimes I imagine if John 10, if Jesus said, my sheep see me clearly and it's easy for them to follow me. That's what I wanted to say. But let me give you a little bit of background for why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We can go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy in the beginning of scripture. And the faith of ancient Israel can be summed up by a single verse, a command, a prayer. And it's this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is the Shema, which means to hear, to listen, to heed. Hear, O Israel, was the core of the law. For Israel, hearing God was the highest priority for humanity. Israel was to hear what God was saying, to listen to his voice, and to obey his commands. And this was revolutionary in that time in history because all of the other religions of the time had visual representations. They had gods that they could see. They had idols. Israel, though, worshipped a god they could not see. 
For Israel, God communicated not primarily through signs or symbols, although he did that and he still does that, but through sound. God's commands, God's calls, God's word, God's voice. And Jesus also emphasizes the importance of the Shema. We can read in Mark 12 this, Jesus answered, the most important commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus knew that to love God with all our hearts, with all of our souls and strength, that we must learn to hear God's voice. We must learn to listen. And the theme of hearing is throughout Scripture. The psalmist cries out, let me hear what the Lord God will speak. Jesus in Matthew 4 says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fifteen times throughout the Gospels, Jesus says some variation of, he who has ears, let him hear. And Paul tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes from hearing. Hearing God's voice is everywhere in Scripture. It's the most important command of all the Old Testament because hearing God's voice moves us towards loving God with all of our minds and all of our hearts and all of our bodies, with all of who we are. But how? How does hearing God's voice bring us into a deeper and fuller love of God? Let's return to John 10. And I'm going to read those few verses again. And I just, what do you hear as I read them? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Now verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What do you hear? He calls his sheep by name. I know my own, and they know me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. Do you hear the relational language in Jesus' words? Jesus knows his sheep by name, and the sheep hear and trust his voice because they are known they are in relationship with their shepherd. They are in the safety and comfort of the good shepherd's care. Now let's pause for just a moment. And I want you to keep that relational language in your mind. Remember it, hold on to it. But let's return to this idea of seeing for just a moment. Specifically, the difference between seeing and hearing. Because at times, seeing can, not always, but can create detachment. The one who sees is the subject, and what they see becomes the object. 
There's distance between the two. Let me illustrate. When Dak Prescott, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, throws an interception, which he will not do very much of this year, guarantee it, it's from the stage, God's listening, please. I yell at him, like through the TV, as if like I'm right next to him. I yell at him and I yell things like, you are terrible, Dak, be better, you worthless. And I'll let you fill in what you think I say after that. But when a QB for Dort throws an interception, and I still remember one of the most painful ones a couple of years ago, playing Morningside, potential game-winning drive, quarterback throws a game, potential game-winning interception in the end zone. I didn't yell at him. I hurt for him. He didn't want to make that mistake. He was giving full effort in that moment. And when he threw the interception, I had understanding and compassion rather than anger. What's the difference between the two? Well, other than I might be fired if I yelled at Dort players the way I yell at Cowboys players, that's mostly a joke. The difference is relationship. The difference is relationship. I do not know any of the Cowboys players personally. There's a distance between us. They are the object of what I am watching and I am detached from what they have going on in their lives. But at Dort, I know the players and coaches. I'm in relationship with some of them. I have listened and heard some of their stories and I don't view them as an object to consume, but as a person to get to know. You see, you can watch a sporting event or theater performance or scroll through social media, but usually you're not participating in the sport, performing in the play, or engaging in genuine community. If all you do is see and that's it, you are a spectator. But if you learn to listen, you become a participant. Hearing is an act of engagement. Hearing is an act of participation because hearing creates a relationship, a relationship between the one speaking and the one listening. Because at a basic level, you must be close to the source of the sound that you're trying to hear. You can see from a distance, but you cannot hear from one, at least not very well. And I wonder if this might be why our culture is visual. I wonder if this is why we don't hear God's voice all that much. It's because we fear relationship, even though we desperately long for it. We're comfortable with the far-off knowledge of seeing, but are afraid of the intimate knowledge of hearing, of being close to someone, Let me ask you, would you rather see God from a distance or hear God up close? And if you're like me, my, my gut answer to that is, oh, I wanna hear God up close. But is that true? Do you think your inclination at times for God to prove himself or show you the exact way you should go or for God to work in someone else's life before you open yourself up to work in your life? Do you think that that might be rooted in a fear of being close to God? 
a fear that he'll be disappointed in you or angry with you or ashamed of you, that you'll mishear him or misinterpret him or make a wrong decision? Is it rooted in a fear that someone will harm you in the name of God again? So in that fear, distance is better. It's safe and comfortable. Seeing at a distance is better because the risk of hearing, the risk of being in close relationship with God and others is too great. So you stick to seeing when really you have a deep longing to hear. But more than it's a longing to hear God's voice, it's a longing to experience God's love, his unconditional, compassionate, relational love. Has there ever been a moment when you needed to get grace or to receive grace, support, or help, but got disappointment or shame or condemnation or embarrassment instead? We all probably have a moment like that in our story, a moment when we finally worked up the courage to either go to someone or go to God and be vulnerable, and it didn't go well. You felt rejection, embarrassment, or shame. And since, it's given you a hesitation to get close to God or others. Are you afraid? Are you afraid to move towards God but deep down you long for God's love, his unconditional, compassionate, relational love. If this is you, if you long for that love, hear, O Israel, hear, O Dort, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the most important commandment. It's a commandment conveying how much God wants to be close to you. Because to see God, you can be at a distance, but to hear God, you must be close. And that's the reason why God wants you to hear his voice. He wants to be close to you. He wants a relationship with you. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice because he knows that it's in the safety and comfort and abundance of the shepherd's care and unconditional love, that sheep, that you and me can trust and hear the shepherd's voice. That's the place where we'll begin to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our bodies. And just to be clear, the goal of this series of hearing God's voice is not to get it right all the time. The goal of hearing God's voice is not to make sure that you choose the right job, the right relationship, the right class, the right major to go this way or that way. The goal of hearing God's voice is not to make sure you say the right thing at the right time to the right person at every time and every moment. That's too much pressure. I feel like there is someone, maybe all of us on some level in this room that feels the pressure that they have to get it right every single time and the weight of it is just too much. It's cracking. But here's the reality. You won't. I won't. We won't get it right every single time. 
And I want you to know, if you feel that pressure, you don't have to get it right every time because the purpose of hearing God's voice is not about how to get it right all of the time. The purpose of hearing God's voice is close relationship with God, deep friendship with God, an interactive relationship in which we participate rather than spectate. And that's why God says repeatedly in scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the summary of the Bible in one sentence. I will be your God and you will be my people. No matter what you do, no matter where you hide, no matter how far you run, I'm coming, I'm here. My arms are open. I will be your God. It's why God spoke to Moses face to face as a person would his friend. It's why God calls Abraham his friend. Jesus was and is the friend of sinners. And Jesus' final words before he ascended into heaven was, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Relationship with God, friendship with God, the presence of God, the unconditional, compassionate, freeing, grace-filled love of God. Do you long for that? I'll invite the band up. Do you long for that? Do you long for a space where you feel free to speak and safe to fail and empowered to participate in bringing heaven to earth through all that you do? Do you long to be in a relationship like a trusting sheep has with a loving shepherd? That's the invitation for this semester to become a sheep that trusts the shepherd's voice, to become a sheep that's known by the shepherd and knows the shepherd, a sheep that hears and follows the shepherd's voice. Hearing God's voice is the most important thing that we will ever do because to hear God's voice, you must be close to the shepherd and God invites you to hear his voice because he wants to be close to you. The God of the universe wants to be close to you because you're his kid and he delights in you. Cling to that truth. Reflect on that reality this week.